the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Getting deep into February already. Whoa, right? Um, it just goes again to show you how fast time goes from age 20 to 60, and then we have to live from 60 to 100, where hopefully things slow down a bit, quote-unquote the golden years, but they probably won't. The S&P 500 down four today. The Dow up 22. Nasdaq down 18. Oil shot up yesterday. Pulled back today. Oil prices have rallied off their post-crisis lows. Could it mark the bottom of a route as producers' cutbacks begin pinching supply? Um, or are we going for a V-shaped recovery? I don't think so. Today, some top news includes Staples Inc.'s deal to buy Office Depot for $6.3 billion. About time. I mean, seriously, people. Stop and think about it for just one moment, and you'll kind of think, that is so old school, you know, going into a big... When was the last time you were in an Office Depot or Staples? It's been a while for me. Um, GM raises their dividend. More for investors could come later this year. Sweet. Sweet. Thank you. Chipotle shares slide after sales miss expectations. Um, those are some of the top kind of big headline stories out there. Again, Staples and Office Depot. Let's stick with this for just a moment. A very 1980s kind of mega store that, you know, Hey, let's come out with a big store that sells office supplies. Let's come out with a big store that sells TVs, Best Buy. Let's come out with a big store that sells, like, we. it had its day, to say the least. The two companies, which agreed to a merger after pressure from activist investor Starboard Value, will create a retail chain with about $39 billion in revenue, thousands of stores. The move is expected to draw scrutiny from the FTC, though regulators have been increasingly willing to approve retail mergers in light of the burgeoning e-commerce competition. Uh, yeah, back in the 90s, deal could never have happened. Um, just 
not enough competitors. But now there's plenty of competitors, including things like Amazon and Target, where you can get office supplies. Um, I think it's kind of a, I'm not going to say a sad day, but it's a change in retail world. And I, I would venture to guess that if, you know, you were to go into the future five, ten years from now, the retail would look considerably different. With what Amazon is trying to do and Google's trying to do with same-day delivery, um, the idea of going to the mall, I'm not going to say is dead. It's just not looking that great right now. So we're certain that it's 2015, but it's starting to feel like 2014, the way the S&P 500 declined 3.6% in January, only to regain everything in February. Um, so the first two days of February are pretty darn good. So we're kind of replaying what happened last year. Greece is remaining in the Eurozone for now. A recovery in oil prices yesterday doesn't follow through today. Continuation of the bull market that would be accentuated with the outperformance of the cyclical sectors. Um, some of those thoughts were missing in January, and now they're falling into place now. Everything lined up beautifully yesterday, as Wall Street got to exercise some of the demons that have been afflicting the market this year. Reports made it sound like Greece is playing nice. The dollar weakened. Woohoo! Helping multinational earnings prospects. Oil prices surged, triggering some that think that a bottom was in place. Treasuries got hit with safety trades unwinding. Cyclical sectors assumed a leadership position. Greece's debt negotiations are still far from unsettled. And I got into trouble a couple of years ago when I talked about how, you know, unemployment for Greece is, for some young men, it's approaching 50%. So you think it's tough here. It's, it's brutal there. But I got in trouble a couple of years ago, and I basically talked about how, you know, when the Greek protesters would come out, you would see, uh, you know, the water cannons giving them their shower of the month kind of thing. Um, so I'm not allowed to make that joke anymore. Thank you. Thank you. Um, water cannons are good for, for showers for the smelly, unruly people. Um... And now you know. Don't forget, you can make a baby by having sex just once. I could do this all day. I could seriously do this all day. Even ugly people need love. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, so Disney had a great earnings report. Duh. In case you weren't paying attention, there's a movie called Frozen that came out like 25 years ago that they're still milking. And they're milking it to great, great certainty. Uh, so Disney is a stock you want to own. General Motors beat expectations and they raised their dividend by 20%. Staples acquiring Office Depot. These are all very bullish things. James Smuckers is buying Big Heart Pet Brands in a $5.3 billion cash and stock deal. You want to make money? Become the Chipotle of dog food. 
Use only quality sourced ingredients. Make it fresh. Have the dog come to you. That's kind of the society that we're moving towards. We don't want frozen. We don't want processed. We don't want processed frozen. We don't want... We don't. Oh, speaking of Chipotle, they uh, had a bit of a rough quarter. We know that they would because they had the... Uh, Excuse me. How rude. I need a nap. <laughs> oh, good God. Down 50 bucks. Woo! It's probably a buying opportunity. Always seems to be. Uh, they always seem to have this, like, bad reaction during their quarter, after their quarters. And they always seem to be sitting 52-week highs, like, 30 days later. Uh, but it's traded 32 times next year's earnings, so... I'll take a look at it during one of the breaks and see if it's a buy, sell, or hold. See if I can't give you a little bit more color on that. Um, Merck has created a blemish. They uh, have some disappointing guidance. And the ADP employment change report was a bit weaker than expected. The ADP report showed an estimated 213,000 positions being added to private sector payrolls in January. That was below the briefing expectations of 230,000. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Payroll increases were broad-based, with small businesses adding 58,000 positions, mid-sized businesses adding 95,000 positions, and large businesses adding 40,000. Black talking all things financial, money investing, and more. The FTC can expect pushback in Congress, the Federal Trade Commission, the Federal Communication Commission. So the FCC, the FTC, you can see I can botch those on occasion, huh? So the FCC Chief Tom Wheeler is expected to propose new net neutrality rules to commissioners by Thursday. Now, when this happens, there's going to be lawsuits. So it's not so easy as to say, well, I'm for net neutrality. Like, there's companies that have invested some big dollars in this. Verizon sued in 2013 to block the open Internet rules that the FCC adopted in 2010. 
those rules at that time aim to ensure that all legal content on the internet be treated equally by internet service providers not blocked or deliberately slowed. Already AT&T has said that they will offer a court challenge of new rules. FCC could postpone its plan vote on the regulation to give Congress time to work on a bipartisan bill. So here's a situation where government not interferes, but intersects with Wall Street. And that's one of the reasons you have to pay attention to what the government's saying or doing. If Obama says he wants to give out free health care, he damn well better invest in health care because health care has been the best investment in the last two years. I've been living it. If he's giving away health care to poor people, someone's paying for it. And that paying for it means that sector is doing well. So internet service providers like AT&T, Comcast, and Verizon are arguing that the FCC's planned regulation could hamper their businesses and make investment less practical. So on one side, you may go, ooh, sweet. Everything's going to be, you know, I'm going to get my Netflix movies just as fast as I get my uh, Yahoo webpage. But then you will find very soon that companies like Verizon, who you're getting internet service from, or Comcast, they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to stay with that old Cisco router. We don't need to up-speed in any way, shape, and or form. So if the next Facebook has to pay for internet fast lanes, the next Mark Zuckerberg may not exist is the question. You know, um, It does stifle potential competition. Companies like Facebook would want this to go through because they've already got theirs. What's stopping Google from coming out with... Um, their very own, you know, movie service? Not much. And that has to scare people like Netflix. So it's a little bit more complicated than just, you know, uh, surface story of, I want my fast internet. OPEC sees oil prices exploding to $200 a barrel. Okay, weren't we just at 40 According to the Secretary General speaking in London, the oil market doesn't need to look for oil prices to bottom as the market has already bottomed. He thinks we've reached the bottom, the Secretary General. He sees some rebound very soon. He's not saying that OPEC will come in and rescue the oil market by reversing its previous decision to hold steady on production. He sees the signs that the oil market is self-correcting as oil companies have made deep cuts to spending. He said, if you don't invest in oil and gas, you'll see more than $200 barrel of oil when it comes to future oil prices. He didn't give a timetable. He did note the correlation between investment and future production. This is because oil production naturally declines as you pull it out of the ground, and oil companies need to invest in new production not only to replace the decline from legacy oil fields, but to add new production to meet growing demand. It's going to be interesting to watch oil in the next year. Uh, how long can it stay low? There'll be fits and starts where it spikes higher, and we know it's going to go back to $100 a barrel at some point. Or do we? Do we just assume that in the past, because it did, that it will again in the future? Mortgage activity took a slight breather last week, but applications for government-backed loans went on a tear after the government insurer of home loans lowered annual insurance premium by just a half percentage point. The FHA accepts mortgages with down payments as low as 3.5%. Total mortgage application volume increased 1.3%. Hmm. Following several weeks of 
elevated refinance activity due to falling interest rates. The FHA refinance applications increased 76.5%. That's pretty amazing. All because of a cut on the insurance requirements, i.e. they're loosening their standards. But loosening your standards in home loans and mortgages, it can become a problem. Just like loosening your standards in your love life can become a problem. I'm going to make love to a woman with 32 teeth. And then next year I'm like, I will make love to a woman with 26 teeth. And you can start seeing like, ooh, man, you went, you really lowered your standards and the quality went really way down. Same thing with investing in, in loans. When you lower your standards, when you say, I'm only going let, to let someone borrow $100,000 if they make 50, or I'm only going to loan $100,000 to people if they make $20,000, you set yourself up for some problems. So loosening of standards, you know, it's positive because it lets more people into the party. It's negative because it lets too many people in that shouldn't be in. Alibaba. For some reason, I guess, is this nationalist of me? Is this racist of me? What is this? But every time I see the word Alibaba, I'm like, Alibaba. I want to grab the, the magic uh, what, 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 lamp and rub it. Um, open sesame, like when I see Alibaba, I open sesame and, and magic lamps come to my mind. What does that make me? Alibaba is testing drones to deliver ginger tea ordered from its e-commerce website. Stepping up efforts to compete with American rival Amazon. The Chinese internet group has teamed up with delivery company Shanghai Express to launch a drone delivery trial in Beijing. There we have it. More drones. And that plays into the conversation that, holy mackerel, Ford CEO coming out today and basically saying, we have to be aggressive because if we don't, we're going to be put out of business by companies like Tesla and companies like Apple, companies like Google. Uh, so the Ford CEO gets it. Speaking of getting it, Seattle gets a marijuana vending machine. Residents can now purchase weed. Cannabis, marijuana, marijuana, okay, okay, in uh, a vending machine. Hmm. It's the first age-verifying, climate-controlled, self-service dispensary. You have to enter a medical marijuana dispensary and show a medical marijuana ID. But those hurdles clear the glowing green machines beckon. Okay. See, again, now you don't even need a person to, like, sell it to you. You have a machine selling it to you. You have machines driving us. You have a culture where we don't need cars because when we need them, we can just order them and, and use them and not have to deal with costs tied towards insurance and or repairs. Mm -hmm. Things are changing. Thank you, Alibaba. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Prince Awalid bin Talal has cut his stake in News Corp. He's a billionaire prince. He reiterated his faith in News Corp's management just days after the U.S. Justice Department declined to prosecute the company following a lengthy investigation to a phone hacking scandal in Britain. Prince Awalid bin Talal has often been known for his positions where he'll say, I'll hold it forever. And then, whoops, something bad happens. Can you imagine being born a Saudi prince? I mean, worth billions of dollars just for coming out the womb. Um, so he's one of those people that you're like, what is your, like, he's some sort of stock guru. Because, like, people look at him and they're like, what are you buying? Or what are you holding? Um, I don't like going for the gurus. Uh, in large part, you really don't really ever get a sense for why they bought or why they own or when they're going to sell. Like, at one point in time, News Corp was a lifelong investment for them, and then suddenly it's not. And that's one of the problems with going with the Buddhas and the gurus out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now... CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Best way to reduce shocks to a portfolio, both in retirement as well as in youth. Thoughts? Yeah. Well, I mean, world events. Let's let's just look at the last decade. We've seen a tech bubble. And then we saw a real estate bubble. And now we're right in the middle of a debt bubble. We've Greece. We're dealing with issues of Spain and Italy now. Uh, what's next? Iran? I, I mean, think, I think it's going to be Mr. Bubble. Mr. Bubble? I think he's making a resurgence, and people are going to say, the next bubble is Mr. Bubble. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just go with that. So the best way that I've seen to to reduce the shocks in overall portfolio is to stay diversified and rebalance often. Not sexy. I know. Well, I mean, here's here's the deal, though. When When people come and talk about asset allocation – it can go into other levels. For example, in your bond portfolio, do you own not only corporate bonds, high-yield bonds, government bonds in the form of tips, um, you know, also international bonds? I mean, if you're earning – if the dollar falls, for example, let's say inflation is a shock or a falling dollar is a shock to the overall market, if you're earning interest in other currencies and foreign bonds, that's a good hedge against the dollar. But the best way to do it is to make sure you have emergency reserves. And when you're you know, young and working at 6 to 12 months of your family's expenses in cash. So if you need you know, $4,000 a month to keep the lights on and the food on the table in your house, you need six times that a minimum in cash. Can you put if, that in muni bonds? No. Because I get that question all the time. People who want to use their cash to get higher returns. Now, potentially, I mean, there's, there's you know, California tax-free money market accounts, and that's okay. You've, saw, you've seen issues, though, where that has been. You know, had issues of of returns. You saw a couple of money market funds break the buck in two thousand eight and nine. That's a, um, that's a phrase just to let people know that we never thought the the buck could be broken. Right, because most money market shares trade at a dollar a share all the time. And the institution never wants to give you ninety nine cents back because that would be shameful for them. Well, and most money market funds are costing mutual fund families money now to keep them at a dollar. Gotcha. Because you can't hunt for yield. They were hunting for yield in European bank paper. And they're pretty much out of it at this point, so it's harder to even keep you know their interest rates above zero. But with that said, it's you know when you're in retirement or close to retirement, 
you need three years worth of your portfolio draws in cash because world events will occur. Seven out of ten years are positive. Three out of ten years are negative. To get through those negative years in the market when you can't rebalance your portfolio and peel off gains because there aren't any, right. you've got to have the cash to live off of. If you look at your portfolio over all of the last three bubbles that we've had, balanced portfolios have averaged over 6% unless you drew on them when they were down. In that case, you're way behind. So to, to ward that off, you've got to invest the right way in asset allocation, have different asset classes that are doing well um, when the stock market isn't, and you've got to have cash for when everything is doing poorly. Like 2009, asset allocation, everything fell off a cliff. Even gold fell off a cliff in a really ugly time because hedge funds were having to sell it to meet redemptions. Okay, let's ask, let me ask some questions. And you, short answers, okay? Okay. At this moment in time, do you own corporate bonds? Yes. At this moment in time, do you own high-yield bonds? Yes. At this moment in time, do you own TIPS? Yes. Treasuries? Uh, yes, in the intermediate term. I'm not, I can't tell you if I will in 12 months. But How about right dividend now. achievers? Oh, majority of the stock portfolio. Okay. 100% of our individual stocks, dividend achievers, and a good portion of our balanced ETF no-load fund portfolio is dividend achiever. And you know, like in a bullish market, that most of those are going to underperform the bullish stocks, but yet you still have to do it. It's... And in a bearish market, those are going to save you. Well, the, see, or am I oversimplifying? You're oversimplifying because I think actually in a dividend achiever, um, well, not okay. just dividend-paying stocks, those have underperformed a bull market. Dividend achievers are growing companies that still pay a dividend. So the yield isn't as high, but their growth, you, you look for growth there too. But where they get, you know, in a dividend achiever, where you, 2009, for example, the income in the stock portfolio still went up, even though the overall market was down, yep. because you're, divi- you're buying companies that raise their dividend. So between your three years' worth of expenses in cash and your dividends that come in on a quarterly basis, you've got that hedge. I mean, the way that I do it is I'm always at least hedging you know, five to seven years' worth of income, so I know I don't have to sell anything. If we go through a period of like 2000 when the market topped out, tanked, down to 2003, and then recovered by 2007. I want to be able to get people through those types of periods because they're going to be retired from 65 to 100. Okay. Probably what I should have said is that sometimes these basket of income producers make us feel like I wish the money was elsewhere. In hindsight, I wish I had it all at Apple. Mm -hmm. But you just can't do it. No. Asset allocation, you're going to have to realize that when the market is 100% bull market – um, you will underperform a little bit because your bonds won't be keeping up with the the stocks. Your, uh, you know, your your emerging markets tend to fall more than the S and P 500 in a na- in a negative year, but they tend to do better in a in a good year. So it it's it all rotates. It all reverts to the mean. Talking best ways to reduce shocks in a portfolio in retirement. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at law online chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com or his company, newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. He and I do seminars around the Bay Area all the time. You can come out and meet him. He's a good guy. I think you'll grow to like him. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. It's interesting taking a look at what happens on Wall Street on a day-by-day basis um, and some of the stories that are out there. You know, The first trailer for Netflix's Daredevil show is out. And it looks pretty darn interesting. Um, you have to kind of like the whole cartoon, you know, uh, comic book angle. Um, the series is going to be one of four upcoming Marvel series to hit Netflix. So it's a bit dark, 
and that's not the content dark. It's like the footage is visually dark. So 13 one-hour episodes of the series are going to premiere on April 10. And again, it's going to be the whole binge-watching angle. And then they'll own that content for many, many, many years to come. So that's, you know, that's their angle that they're trying to do on this. Of get some stickiness to their content that, you know, keeps maybe like, hey, you want to watch it with your kid in five years kind of thing, because it'll still be there. Speaking of will it be there or won't it be there, here's a trend. Vodka sales are falling um, in the United States and in Western Europe. So basically, vodka had roaring sales for 10 years, and then in the last two, it started to struggle. Um, They got a little bit too cute with it, like fluffed marshmallow, menthol tobacco, flavored tobacco, uh, vodka. And then they went, you know, premium and tried to get people to pay it for upscale versions. So companies like Diageo, who's got Smirnoff, their brand declined 8% in the last six months, uh, contributing to an 18% slide in overall profit. Pernod, Pernod Richard said last year that its absolute brand is struggling in the United States. Taste profiles have moved to appreciate whiskey more. So trends are changing. Like the way we watch TV, we want to binge watch. We want high-quality shows that get good reviews. They're out there. The way we consume alcohol, we're going more towards whiskey now. Experts say that you know, consumers that were attracted to vodka now be seem to be turning off that attraction. And again, marshmallow flavored. Um, eh, drinkers are going more towards whiskey because whiskey has a, a greater depth of flavor. Attempts by marketers to plug that gap with flavor variants are running out of steam. There's over 600 flavors of vodka available to U.S. consumers. And it just shows you that, you know, it's not working anymore. Um, whether it's whipped cream vodka or whether it's root beer float vodka, um, the experiment of coming up with various flavors and going with a super premium angle is losing out to younger people's generational shift away from vodka. And I don't know if it could be saved. Uh, whiskey distillers have also seized their chance releasing lines aimed at younger drinkers, like a fireball cinnamon whiskey, a citrus and vanilla flavored scotch, Again, take a look at what's happening at Wendy's, like with pretzel buns, and, and take a look at all the fast food commercials and all the crazy flavors, and pizza stores now have, like, cherry flavors. Like, what is going on? People under 35 demand more flavors, more taste, more spices. And vodka's just not getting it done anymore. Farewell, vodka. I bid you adieu. Welcome, whiskey. Adieu, adieu to you and you and you. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. And warm and empty left so Whiskey River, take my mind.
Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Did you know that you could rent a wedding dress? Brides spend roughly $1,300 on average on a dress. That's a lot of money considering you're only going to wear it once. So renting it makes sense. Renttherunway.com rents dresses from knee length to fitted gowns for as little as 30 bucks. There's a company called BorrowingMagnolia.com that offers a more traditional full-length dress lineup. The website charges you $99 to send up to three dresses to try on, and it'll credit that amount towards your rental. Most dresses on the site cost $450 more to rent, far better than the $1,300 to buy. And again, um, I've known women. I've dated women that have their first wedding dress in a box saved, and they're not going to ever use it again, nor are they going to fit into it again. It's just sad. Here's something that you could rent that you probably didn't think you could rent. A casket. I bet you didn't think that was coming out of my mouth, did you? I know you're saying, I don't want to know what's coming out of your mouth, Black. Keep it to yourself. But caskets can cost between $2,000 and $5,000. You can rent one. A lot of funeral homes will rent caskets to be used during a viewing or funeral service for $750 to $900. You can pay another $150 to $250 for a simple wooden box insert that can be used for cremation. I myself want to be buried in the backyard. Uh, I, I don't get death and spending money on it. I just don't get it. And again, that's one of those areas, you know how we keep talking about how fast foods change and people want quality? And that's going to not put McDonald's out of business, but it's going to hurt their business if they can't figure a way out of it, their box. We talk about cars and self-driving and how that's going to hurt companies like Ford and GM if they don't figure, like even the peer-to-peer like Ubers and Lyfts are hurting them. People are learning that they can get away with not owning a car that has to have insurance, that has to you know, be maintained. So why not you know, figure out about caskets? And I wouldn't want to be a funeral home director because there is 0.0% chance that I get buried. If I get buried, I want to be buried in the backyard. And I want to be only buried like two feet, three feet deep so like a raccoon could pull me out of the ground and like dance around with my head, run up and down the street and scare the kids. Um, I really don't want to be buried in the backyard, but if you want to bury me in like a uh, cardboard box, I'm totally good at that. I know, I know it's not dignified, but does death really have to be a $15,000 event? Does it? Um, If you're going to buy a new car, buy a new car with good resale value. If you're going to buy a new watch, buy a, a watch with good resale value. So a $400 watch from like, let's just say like a Banana Republic. You know how like there's some luxury watches that you can sometimes get at stores? I'd rather you go out and buy a $4,000 Rolex because it's going to have some resale value. Same thing with cars. You know, um, resale values come from a complex set of calculations based in part on historical data and economic predictions. Um And all you need to do is do a little bit of work, like sit in front of your computer and search for cars with the highest resale value. And some of them will surprise you, like a Volkswagen Golf TDI, uh, $22,000 vehicle. Um, But, you know, 
the resale value is going to be about 64% after three years and about 50% after five. So there's some value there. And again, it's not necessarily what you think. You're like, it's going to be luxury cars. Not really. Um, a Porsche Macan. It's, it's a small crossover. Uh, $50,000 sticker price. After three years, you can sell it for 67% of what you paid for it, or after five years, about 44%. It's as much a sports car as a crossover. The Trim, a uh, little vehicle, it's got a three-liter turbocharged V6 engine. So um, trucks like the Toyota Tacoma, great resale value. The Toyota Tundra, great resale value. Um, the Jeep Wrangler, um, the same idea here. You know, like the Toyota Tundra. After three years, you could resell it for 75% of what you paid. That's not bad. Now, it doesn't get good gas mileage, but you can sell it for 75 because people want used trucks. And they don't have to have the, the newest, bestest possible list. Uh, speaking of vehicles, a car-mounted van spotted driving around the Bay Area is apparently registered to Apple. And it's got a lot of cameras on it. So people are saying, are they developing a Google Street View competitor, or is it going to be a self-driving car technology? It's probably the latter, in large part because there's too many cameras on it. Um, the too many cameras, self-driving cars, but it's probably along those lines. Maybe they're using a company that does have a license. Uh, too many cameras for Google Maps. Now, Google Maps has its own proprietary mapping service, and again, it's kind of weird to think that you can like pull up someone's address and like see like. Google got in trouble a couple years ago because there was a dog in the road in one picture and there was a dead dog in the road in the next picture. It's like, whoops, that car just got hit by a Google car. Or that dog just got hit by a Google car. Uh, so yesterday we heard Uber get into self-driving cars. We know Google's getting into self-driving cars. Now we're starting to get evidence maybe that Apple's doing something along these lines. Um, pretty interesting. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The CEO of Microsoft has done a great job in the last year of changing the image and views of Apple, of uh, Microsoft. Uh, it's been a good year, to say the least, and the stock's done well because of it. Success or failure starts at the top of everything in your life and in the world of investing. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Take a break here. We'll be right back. Found and the waves will found and the morning will be a breaking. The fishes will laugh as they swim out of the path, and the seagulls will be smiling, and the rocks on the sand will proudly stand. The hour that the ship comes in. And the words that are used for to get the ship confused. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. 
Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I just want to patent a word, Rob Black. Moo juice. Mommy, go get me some moo juice. Coca Cola is getting into the moo juice business. They already own a premium water business, a juice business, a cough business. They're now going after milk. Kingpin of carbonation is about to get the milk mustache going. And they're going after more protein, less sugar, and more calcium than conventional milk. It's not crazy when you see people walk into a store and buy things like muscle milk. You get it. You get that there's a shift in you know what people want to put in their bodies. They want more protein. Disney reported strong earnings you got to find a reason to buy for Disney, even if it's at a 52-week high. If you're going to own it for the long term, you get Frozen, you get ESPN, you get theme parks, you get Pixar, you get much, much, much more. You get Star Wars. Come on, you get Star Wars. Uh, Ford, their CEO said today that new business models threaten all car makers. Whether it's car sharing or um, smartphones and you know getting new devices into the vehicle, chargers using a fee for time spent in a car, um, things are changing. Staples is buying Office Depot for $6 billion in just a testament that the big box retail is a failing concept, and Amazon is, is pushing them you know, closer and closer to the brink. There's an Apple car driving around the Bay Area. It's got some radar on it, so people are expecting it to either be tied towards high-resolution maps and or towards autonomous vehicles that can drive themselves. Chipotle shares hit hard today as the food cost rose, and um, they had a pork problem in the quarter. Interesting time. You buy when you can, not when you have to. January auto sales held very, very strong. GM, Ford, Toyota, Chrysler posted double-digit growth. And the number of billionaires surged to a record high. number of billionaires in the world grew by 222 in the year 2014. We need a Hunger Games-style uh, competition to weed us out of some of these billionaires and their dollars. Dollars. So Alibaba is testing drone deliveries, um, trying to compete with Amazon or stay up with Amazon. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. CFP, Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, email came in that says something along the lines, is there a website to rank stocks by dividend yield and history of dividend yield? I find this wildly interesting because mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably asking the wrong question. Well, yeah, because to pick stocks just simply by their dividend yield can get you into a lot of trouble. Um, I mean, for example, you could find an MLP, limited partnership, publicly traded stock, like Magellan Midstream, which is a stock that I used to own. And uh, you could say, oh, gosh, it's got a great yield. But people don't realize that some of that yield is a return of capital. And so as you receive that income in a taxable account, your cost basis actually drops, and you don't even really notice it until you go to sell it, and then you're paying taxes on more than you thought. Um, also, you get a K-1 that could force you to do a, uh extension, because K-1s don't tend to come until after April. Um, and that's actually a pretty... Good area to invest. It's been a very successful area to invest is, is match limited partnerships. There's different ways to do it. 
problem is, is if you're buying stocks, you don't know, and all you're doing is the dividend yield, two things happen. Number one, if you get into a credit crisis situation or a rising rate environment, those stocks can get hammered. They can get hammered. You might have, end up being in a, in a preferred share that you don't know the company very well and interest rates rise and you can lose 20%. So there's some good high yielding stocks out there, but to just invest in stocks for the yield and you don't know what the dividend coverage is how they're paying for that dividend are they borrowing money continue to pay for that dividend it's a horrible way to do it like one stock i own at&t it's got a great dividend yield but there's another stock that has a similar dividend yield that like annually mortgage that mm-hmm. i'm not going to touch um one's dealing with mortgages one's dealing with you know business phones and data plans and i i trust the cash flow of one more so than i trust the cash flow of another mm-hmm. um so hunting for yield is the wrong way of going about it. Right. It's something you've talked about recently is when you put together a portfolio of income uh, or a portfolio designed to create and generate income is you kind of have to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and mm-hmm. a little bit of that. It's not as easy as one size fits all. No, I just I like I like dividend achievers. So that idea that you've talked about, mergence, dividend achievers, which NASDAQ bought the rights to that indexing approach. Um, companies that have a history of raising their dividend on average by about 10% a year, but you look at free cash flow and how they're paying for their dividend. And even you look at, at AT&T, they've got a great you know history of raising their dividend by something like 5.5% or to 10% a year on average. But you look down the road, and if they don't start increasing revenues, there's going to be an issue, which is one of the reasons why they're doing the deal that they're doing right now, is to try to increase that revenue in the long run so they can continue their, their payout ratio. And then there's companies like Apple who borrow money to you know, help fund their dividend. Yeah, they've, they've got plenty of cash to fund their dividend. The issue is that a lot of that cash is overseas. So yeah. tax reasons, which is what a lot of companies are doing, they say, you know what, we can actually issue debt to do some of these buybacks and some of these dividend increases and create even more value for shareholders because of our ridiculous tax code here in the U.S. It is pretty ridiculous. It's horrible. I mean, it's they, they say here's 35% corporate tax, but yet here's all these loopholes. And so in just instead of making it simple and say, okay, just pay a 15% flat tax, which the government would probably make more money, take away all the loopholes, cut the taxes in half, and the government would probably have more revenue. It's just, instead, it creates jobs for CPAs and attorneys and to, do, to try all these fancy ways to avoid the system. What are some of the stock screens you would put in if you're trying to identify a good dividend-paying stock? Um, well, again, free cash flow, looking at where the money is coming from and how they can cover it. I think those are the biggest issues without getting too boring for morning radio. We'll come with you. To get your calls on the air, you can always call 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You can find CFP Chad Burton online at chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. So the frozen fervor has heated up Disney's quarterly profit. The Disney band that they have as well, all doing very, very well. Disney's shares hitting an all-time high today. Strong performance across TV networks, theme parks, movie studios. I'm 40 years old. I'm in my 40s. Do I think Disney will be in business the day I die? I do. Do I want to share in the profits with that company over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? I do. Do I think I'm going to make money in year one? I don't. Period. Um... But if I do, I'm happy. Um, 
Walt Disney's quarterly profit topped expectations. Disney now plans to open a Shanghai Disneyland theme park in spring 2016. The company had earlier had a target of late 2015. Frozen toys sold particularly well during the holiday shopping quarter. Their consumer products unit earned $626 million profit. Disney will fuel the franchise with Frozen Fever, which is a seven-minute feature that's going to have a new song and will be shown in theaters ahead of its live-action Cinderella movie. It's going to be released on March 13th. So when kids are going to go see the Cinderella movie live-action, which is something that Disney's been doing recently, is kind of making some live-action versions of some of their classics. Frozen Fever is going to, once again, come out and um, reinvigorate kids. Ma'am, my Elsa doll fell apart. Her eye popped out. I need a new one. Disney Movie Studio recorded a 33% jump in profit. Uh, Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy. They own Marvel, by the way. They own Marvel? They own superheroes and, are you kidding me, Star Wars and Pixar? you got to find a reason to own that stock. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. I always have events coming up. Learn more at robblack.com. Welcome back again, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Let's go to Bill. Bill, what question you got for the show? Uh, good morning, Rob. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, over the years that I've been listening to you, you've talked periodically about uh, uh, 3D printing and printing stocks. Uh, in general, uh, what do you see going forward as far as being invested in that area? I mean, is it long, long term, or what, what's your feeling? Um, I'm not in the sector at this point in time, uh, if that tells you anything, and I'm a little bit behind in my due diligence on the sector because I'm not in it, I'm not really watching it. Um, I'll certainly take a look in the near-term future on it, though. Um, obviously, 3D Systems, Stratasys um, are the big names in the area. They, they had their big rise in 2013 great rise and that's when I put it in my newsletter and then since then I take some money off the table and move on um, I think it's going to be a very competitive area that has kind of fits and starts clearly 3d printing is here to stay whether we're seeing people's getting medical devices being printed specifically for them and or if it's like even things like makeup and or cake creations what are your thoughts on the sector I'm confused because of the rise and fall, and that's why I wanted to see what uh, uh, what your take was. Yeah, what I would probably do, and thanks for the call, is there is a rise and fall, and you know, again, you could take a look at a, a name, you know, like a Voxel Jet or a Stratasys. 
Um, and if you want it to own the sector, you would only want to own a small bit of your portfolio in that area. Um, you don't have to be a super rocket scientist genius. In the last five years, for instance, um, you've seen Stratasys go from $20 a share all the way to 100 and I, th I think like 140, 136, and now it's back at 57-ish. When you take a look at the valuations, it's been hit or miss as far as earnings go. So it, it's what I would refer to as a hyper growth sector. And in your portfolio, you want to have value. You want a little bit of growth and value, some growth, and maybe just a little bit of hyper growth. Um, Stratasys is now trading at 24 times next year's earnings, which doesn't sound crazy. So in this case, you would compare Stratasys with um, 3D systems. And you would look at, you know, what's the valuation? Like um, 3D systems is trading at 27 times next year's earnings. Probably going to be some, you know, acquisitions in there as, you know, some smaller companies come up with 3D printing concepts. Um, the bigger boys will acquire them. HP is certainly not going to let a printing scenario completely slip past them. So there could be an acquisition there. Um, you want to compare the price to sales ratio of like a 3D systems with any company that you're looking at. Um, and a Stratasys. Um, and if you're not doing that comparison, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Like Stratasys has a, a lower price to sales ratio. You want to take a look at debt. What's the debt to equity? Um, the debt to equity on Stratasys is high. It's too high for me. It's at 1.91. Um, I don't like debt to equities over 1.5. Um, and again, it's going to be something that you have to have an opinion on. Um, you don't want too much hyper growth. When it's good, it's very, very good. But when it's bad, you're sitting there thinking, okay, this stock's gone from 130 down to 50. Now what do I do? And that's pretty tough, you know, to make a call uh, in that moment of time. The oil rally that happened yesterday reversed today. When it was happening yesterday, I said, this isn't going to last because demand doesn't change that fast. When Russia's economy is contracting and you've got European Union problems where they're lowering interest rates to try to stimulate growth and stop deflation, inflating economy, deflating economy. When you've got deflation as the bugaboo out there, it's problematic. Um, So I'm not saying oil goes to 30, but I th certainly think it plays in the $40 range um, sooner rather than later. And my opinion on it's not that great. It's just I'm not that close to oil. Disney skates to a new high. GM jumps today. Why did GM jump? We know Disney had a great quarter, and we know they got great things in the pipeline. But GM is considering returning more cash to shareholders on top of a 20% dividend increase company's CFO said today <clears throat> that the return of capital investors could happen as soon as legal issues tied towards the recall of the defective ignition switch linked to at least 51 deaths are resolved. GM prefers to carry the high end of its targeted cash range of $20 billion to $25 billion. Um, so they got a lot of cash, and they're going to be upping that dividend. And Wall Street loves the dividend story. Uh, rightfully so. You know, a lot of what happens on Wall Street, you know, we were just talking about 3D printing stocks. 
a lot of what happens on the success of over time is getting those dividends. So right now, GM yields about 3.7%. That's fantastic. Now, there you have not a growth company anymore, but you have a value company. Is it growth and value? Sometimes, yeah, you could certainly have some of those components. At its worst, it was $30 stock tied towards the recall of the ignition switches that killed many people and the legal issues that are going to follow on that. Uh, but once that's a demon known, once they put that cost of settling legally behind them, you'll see an unleashing of the demon known. Uh, right now, is it how much does a person cost who's dead? $1 million, $2 million, or $3 million? There is a certainty to it. Um, I was once rear-ended, and insert your bad joke there, but I was once rear-ended, and um, my brother's a personal injury attorney. I'm like, so what can I expect? And he said, well, because you had neck strain, you did go to the hospital. It's not whiplash. You didn't get a big neck brace. You know, it's probably about $3,000. And sure enough, it was about $3,000. If I wanted more, they were going to go to court. If I wanted less, they were going to gladly, you know, have me sign it away. Um, the insurance companies being they. So that's worthy of note, in my opinion. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Staples buying Office Depot for $6 billion. Really, that's more a story about Amazon just killing big box retail. And also big box retail, just not knowing what's right for itself. Um, it's a little bit too much space. Chipotle Mexican Grill um, got hit pretty hard today. Same-store sales jumped 16%. Income was $121 million. Food costs were tricky and a little bit unpredictable in 2014 and will likely continue to be in 2015. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. I think we just had a call. Don't be shy. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial. Coming up, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Jeff Rosen about the economy. Welcome in. Back in, Rob Black and your money. You hear business time. It must mean Dr. Jeff Rosen, chief economist with briefing.com, is on the line. How are you, Dr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm well. Thanks for asking. A um, little bit of economic data out this morning that's going to be interesting to talk to you about. Uh, first and foremost, the private sector January job growth was a little disappointing on the headline. How about the details of it? Disappointing as well or not so much? No, it's pretty much following in line with what we've been seeing. Um, you know, I've said this before. I don't rely too much on the ADP number as a gauge to what's actually going on in the private sector. The ADP number is simply a forecast of Friday's payroll number. 
So it follows the same forecasting errors that you know every model has. So the fact that the number came in a little light doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see uh, a poor jobs number on Friday. Uh, but that said, I mean, it's basically saying what we all know. I mean, in January, you've had an increase in initial claims for the first three weeks. You know, we don't have a, a quite a good gauge on why that that happened, but it suggests a little bit lighter, uh, a little bit softer labor market. You know, nothing that would, you know, derail job growth, but enough that would, you know, stunt job growth from 250 to, you know, 200 to 225, which is really what the ADP showed. You know, we have a little bit of a slowdown. You know, maybe we'll get a little bit more information on it on Friday when the true numbers come out. I have a feeling it's going to tell us that the um, the drilling sector uh, from fracking industries reduced employment, and I, and I think that's going to show up in the overall numbers, and I think that's what we're going to see. So the jobs report that comes out on Friday, how important is it? Because to me, it feels like we're getting towards the end of the improvements, and now maybe we go a little sideways, a little up, a little down, or am I off base? No, it's quite really what it is. I mean, realistically, we have to figure out where we are in the uh, business cycle, because if okay. we're closing in on full employment, which you know a 5.6% uh, unemployment rate would suggest, and the CBO is predicting right now that full employment is 5.3%, it tells us that we really don't have the supply of uh, unemployed that will take new jobs. So if that's the case, then what we want to see is the fact that jobs can only grow by the population. So if population growth is between 100 and 120,000 a month, then we should see payroll growth slow down and meet those expectations, meet that population growth. So, you know, if we still have a lot of slack in the labor market, and which is saying that the unemployment rate really is much higher than the 5.6% we're seeing, then I would expect job growth to you know, to still come in at 250, 300, you know, because we have the available labor pool. But it really depends on where we are. You know, if we leave the CBO's results, we can't see big labor growth, big payroll gains like we saw a few months ago. It's going to be slower, but that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. It means that, you know, the economy is matching what, uh, what the market can handle. Other economic data that's out today, I saw something on the services payroll, um, being a little less than exciting as far as new business coming in. The headline looked good, but the data looked a little weak on the service sector growth. Are we worried that we're starting to see yeah. the signs of a crack? No, no. I mean, again, we're okay. talking about another survey that you know, has a very poor track record at uh, predicting economic growth in the general economy. You know, you're asking businesses, are things do better today than they were yesterday? But it doesn't quantify how much better or how much worse things are today than it was in the past. So, you know, if you have a few small companies report in that, you know, their demand slowed, and you have one big company reporting in that demand picked up, the survey itself is going to look as a net negative because more companies reported, you know, worse reports than positive. But, you know, the bigger company is, you know, arguably more important than the smaller one. So, yeah, the survey doesn't really get into that specific, so we don't get a true estimate of what's going on. But I would say that, you know, the number was was fine. I mean, it, it didn't show anything uh, abnormal. Yeah, you know, I think that the production has remained in an expansion for 60 consecutive months, which is 
quite you know strong and you know at the overall level it doesn't look like it's going to turn negative any anytime soon meaning it's not going to fall below 50 so i'm pretty you know it's fine to me and there's nothing in it that's showing me any change you know the the economy is growing it may not be growing at a 5% rate you know that we saw in the third quarter it may not be growing at a 4% rate which is the annualized gain from uh, q2 q3 and q4 2014 but you know, expectations of two and a half percent to three percent growth in 2015 are good. You know, that's that's what we would expect. That's what our previous potential used to be. You know, two seven to three. Uh, I think we're on that trend. Elsewhere in the economic data, I saw the auto numbers for January were blistering, and that's a sector that you've been looking at recently. Any commentary on double-digit growth in the autos? Is it sustainable? Is it good for our economy? Is it bad for our economy? Because, you know, we're doing six, seven, eight-year loans on cars now. Well, that's the question is, what's the debt-to-asset uh, ratio on the auto industry? And I don't know it off the top of my head. But, you know, yeah, as we heard, you know, last couple of weeks, you've seen an increase in uh, in loan uh, duration, which makes it more difficult to sustain, you know, 17 million uh, plus uh, vehicle sales if you're going to be telling people that uh, they can't really have a new car for at least six years because they're going to be underwater in their car payments until then. But you know, overall, if we look at it, you know, the January numbers were good. Uh, a lot of it came from fleet. A lot of it came from truck. Uh, lower oil prices kind of made it an incentive to uh, consumers to to buy trucks over cars. The number was good when you look at it to com- you know, when you compare it to previous Januarys. I think it was the strongest January in nine years. But if you look at it on an annualized level and, and, and seasonally adjusted, it was a little bit weaker than we saw in December. So it, it's not a fantastic month, but it's not a terrible month either. If you're looking at specifically the manufacturers. I mean, big three did very well. You had um, you know, market share gains you know, in Ford, Chrysler, and uh, GM. GM you know, outperformed everybody. Toyota did well. Uh, Honda was a little light, but still gained you know, double-digit growth. Really, the only negative in there was uh, Honda Kia, which only increased, I think, by about 2% year over year. But it was still positive. I don't think there was any motor vehicle manufacturer that reported negative uh, year-over-year sales levels. So that's a positive. And, and the number itself was like 16.7 million SAR, which is a little bit light when you're thinking that the uh, you know year number for 2015 is expected to be uh, 17, maybe a little bit higher than 17 million SAR. So we'll see if it trends upwards. But you know it wasn't a bad report by any means. Speaking with Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, Briefing.com. Anything that you're working on that you want to add a little flavor, a little color to wrap up our segment? Yeah, I, I, you know, we're going to find out a lot about what's going on in the Friday employment report. Um, what we really want to specifically look at this time is wages. Uh, don't look too much closely at the, at the headline payroll number. Check to see if we get a wage gain. Uh, if you remember last month, wages unexpectedly contracted and you had a negative revision to uh, November wage growth, which meant that you know, aggregate income was, was really weak, uh, especially considering you had a, a fairly decent headline payroll number. So you know, just like this month, if you see good job gains but you don't see wage growth, 
you know, you have to multiply job gains by the wages, by the hourly uh, work week in order to get income. And just because one goes up, if the others don't follow or at least hold steady, you're going to have negative income. And negative income is bad in terms of consumption growth. So, you know, everybody's going to be focusing on the headline payroll number because that's what everybody cares about. But reality is on Friday, look at that wage number. I think that's where it's going to drive uh, the market. Thanks very much. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com, giving us some good insights on investing and money um, in the economy, uh, how they all kind of tie together, car sales, government loans on you know homes, uh, service economy. It, it all ties together. I think he does a really nice job of, of showing us what's working and or what's not working. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. So demand for government-backed FHA loans spoke, spoke, spiked um, last month in large part because they lowered the amount of insurance premium that you have to pay. Good story, yeah, kind of. Um... Anyway, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. So Apple's got a mysterious van driving around. That's something we're paying a lot of attention to because, you know, Apple's hiring a search employee. What does search mean? Is it going to be search engine? Can they catch up with Google? Why not just buy Yahoo? Um, search could be another, you know, billion-dollar, you know, machine for them much as it is for companies like Google, and since they already own the hardware business side of it, uh, wouldn't be that hard to extrapolate in, because at one point in time they didn't have maps, and now they have maps, so you're always looking to see where they're doing something, and ultimately why. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's Rob Black. money, investing, and more. I do have a webinar coming up that I should start talking about because the last one got packed. Too many people. So if you've never been to a webinar, do sign up. Um, you get to do it from the comfort of your own home. And it's building a retirement portfolio that lasts. CFP Chad Burton and myself will be going over constructing the retirement portfolio that endures for decades. You know, um, you look at something like an AT&T as a bond replacement. Or maybe you say, okay, I feel a little weird about that because at some point in time, we're going to max out what we're willing to pay on wireless. I don't think that's true. Not in my lifetime. Um, until we get wireless into our cars on a regular, oh, yeah, I'm willing to pay that. Um, 
I think these companies still have legs. Now, AT&T has a massive dividend. It's not going to be a, a much of a stock grower. It just isn't. Uh, they'll do some stock buybacks here and there, but in the last five years, you know, when the market's up 200%, they're up 50%. Um, so, but you get 5.7% yield. So every $100, they give you $5.70 every year. That's pretty good as far as dividend yield goes. Now, again, you would probably say, okay, now let's go with something that maybe has more buybacks and or, you know, I don't think you would consider Apple a dividend achiever at this point in time, but they're certainly moving that direction. Um, Apple just, you know, broke out to an all-time high. Um, it's interesting to note. Um Oppenheimer sees upside in the street's fourth quarter expectations for Apple. PC shipments are set to increase 10 to 15% in 2015. Keep in mind that Apple still has a long way to go to catch up with HP and Dell as far as desktops go. And as you go through hallways more and more so, you're seeing more Apple products. They're starting to hire enterprise salespeople um, to try to get their tablets into the enterprise. And uh, just a little bit more embedded here, a little bit more embedded there. Um, so Apple's not the dividend player that you want it to be, but maybe like Procter & Gamble is. Um, you can't have it all, you know. Maybe you go after a food company, you know, um, as a different play on investing. Procter & Gamble is 3.1% yield, not too shabby. Uh, but the PE is pretty high. So again, like with Disney, some of these great companies, you're not going to get them cheap right now, not at this phase of the market. When the market's selling and everyone says, that stock will never go higher, that's when you want to buy. Or when people just quit on the stock market. It happens. It's not something that's happened recently. The biotech stocks extend a recent retreat. Tech stocks, though, are holding out pretty darn well. Visa is one of my favorite companies to invest in. Um, it's a great name. It's a name that everyone understands. It's a name that, yeah, there's some companies in Silicon Valley that want to put them out of business. Is it going to happen? I don't think so. It's near its 52-week high. They've recently announced a split. Uh, they've got a CEO who is very shareholder-friendly. Um, and again, is it expensive? Yeah. But again, do you think we're going to be processing payments next year and the year after and the year after and the year after? And yeah, there's some companies that want to put them out of business, but that doesn't mean that they don't, you know, they buy into some of these companies that are going to be innovating new technology in cash transfers. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. I think the story of the day, again, is the Staples Office Depot. So Staples announced that it would acquire Office Depot for $6.3 billion. Company explains in one word that probably has every Staples and Office Depot employee nervous is the word synergies. They expect to recognize at least $1 billion of synergies as we aggressively reduce global expenses and optimize our retail footprint. So those savings will dramatically accelerate strategic reinvention, which is focused on driving growth in our delivery business and in categories beyond office supplies. Synergies usually means closing and combining of offices and stores, which also comes with job cuts. So 
assuming half those synergies come from reduced headcount and each worker saves $150,000, the back of the envelope calculation would be that at least 3,300 people are going to be let go. Um, and that's a pretty big reduction of workforce in a company, you know, it's roughly almost 6%. So how comfortable do you feel with a 6% cut? It's a damnation game. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. A lot of retired people are facing emotional adjustments. About two-thirds of retirees say they had challenges basically changing, adapting to their changing lives. Um, that's interesting of note. toughest part of retiring you know, is missing the day-to-day -day social connections with colleagues. Um, I go to the gym every day. You can't tell, but I do. And the time of day that I go, it's a lot of senior citizens. Um, and you can see that a lot of them are there not to get like pumped up, but to basically get out of the house and talk to other people. Uh, I talked to an American Airlines retired pilot yesterday and uh, talked about the whole San Francisco crash that happened a couple of years back and uh, some of his opinions on the emergency responses and how good our emergency responses are in the United States. Anyway, but you can tell he just wanted to talk. He wanted to feel important a little bit. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Got a big event coming up, a webinar at the end of February. You can sign up for it today at robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 